Let's bow together before the Lord in prayer. Our Father, we approach you profoundly thankful that you are the Lord who is gracious and compassionate. You are slow to anger, you are rich in love, and we are the beneficiaries of your gospel of grace. In the good news of the person and work of God the Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, we receive what we did not deserve and could not earn, all because of your mercy to us. You gave us the righteousness of Christ and you placed on Christ our sin. So all of our salvation is of you. And all we bring to it is our sin and we receive your gift with the empty hands of faith. Father, because of your amazing grace given to us, we delight to give ourselves in gratitude to you. You've given us eternal security so that nothing we do and nothing that is done to us can change our relationship with you. We know we are going to heaven, so we do not live for you in order to earn a place there, but because we are already going there. Our gratitude for your mercy is why we're here to worship you. We're not here out of legalistic obligation. We do not give to you out of compulsion. But all that we do for you is done from hearts that overflow with gratitude because you've been so very good to us. We want to please you with our lives and with our worship. And so aid us, Father, so that we worship you acceptably and so that our praise is delightful to you for it's offered to you who alone is worthy. We ask all of this in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and all of God's people said, Amen. Thank you and please be seated. Well, good morning. It is good to sing praise to the Lord together with you this morning. Welcome to all of you. Glad you could be here to worship with us. Welcome to uh, those of you who couldn't be here with us this morning or watching on live stream. We're glad all of you are here. We're especially glad you're here today. If you're our guest, we would love to get to know you and let you get to know us. And we've tried to uh, make accommodations to be able to do that. And uh, if you're new here, it's your first time, and you'd like to know more about any of the announcements you hear this morning or just the ministries of CBC, we've set up a keyword, the word CBC Connect. You can text that to a number, 97,000. If you text that keyword to the number 97,000, you'll get a link back that uh, connects you to our connection card, as well as some shortcuts to other things that uh, are going on at the church you can register for and things like that. So we would uh, we'd love to get to know you better, reach out and connect to us. And then as well, if it's your first time here today, we would love to give you a gift to say thanks for being with us. Just stop by our welcome desk out in the lobby there before you leave today. Let them know you're our guest and they, they have a, a token of our appreciation for your being here with us this morning. We paused in our worship through singing this morning to do what we call at CBC Worship Through Giving. We believe here that everything we have uh, is, is, comes to us from the hand of the Lord. And uh, we set aside a portion of all that he's entrusted to us each week for the work, direct support of the work that he's doing here in the ministry at CBC. So our ushers are going to come forward to receive our morning offering. And uh, guests who I spoke to a moment ago, we didn't invite you to ask you for money. So please don't feel obligated to give as the plate goes by. Uh, but for those of you who have joined together in ministry here, uh, may the Lord bless you as you give. And then as the men collect the offering, I've got some announcements I want to remind you of, some things that are coming up in the life of our church. Starting off with this morning's schedule, uh, we're back to our normal Sunday morning schedule. And so that means in our second hour today in this room, 
Pastor Ken will be continuing the series, Anxious for Nothing. So we hope you'll plan to stick around at 11.15 for that. And then uh, just a reminder, our home groups are back up and running, but those meet on the first and third Sundays of every month. So those won't be meeting tonight, they're off tonight, but they'll be back together next Sunday evening. If you're not a part of a community group and you'd like to find out more or find out about a group that you can attend, just check out our website, cbctrenton.com, click on the community group banner, and uh, we'll, we'll get in touch with you or we'll respond to you and uh, give you more information, help you find a group. Our community institute as well is back in session, so our two classes that are continuing their second semester are Master Plan for Life and Gospel of John. They picked up where they left off last week, and then we have a new class taught by Tim Miller from Detroit Baptist Theological Seminary that is First Peter. That's underway as well, and enrollment for that class is still open. If you've missed the start date, that's okay. You can still enroll and attend this Wednesday night or, or attend it online as well. All the details of that class are on our website. And then two things coming up for our ladies. We have tomorrow the favorite thing party. And all the details for this are on our website. If you're not sure what uh, the favorite thing party is about, just click on the banner at the website. It'll tell you exactly what to do. But that happens here tomorrow. And I didn't write the, num the uh, time down on my notes. Is it 7 o'clock? Tomorrow here at 7 o'clock. And that sounds like it's going to be a fun time. And then as well, there's an overnight trip planned for the ladies for March 11th and 12th. And uh, that is something that they need you to sign up for. And you don't have to be going to the entire trip. You don't have to be staying overnight or doing all of the aspects of the trip to be able to go to part of it. So when you go to the website, click on that link, and you'll be able to just indicate the portions you can attend there. But they do need for planning purposes for you to sign up. So uh, mark your calendar for that, ladies, and uh, visit the website to sign up. And that does it for our announcements this morning. I want to turn our attention now to God's word for our scripture reading, which comes from 2 Corinthians chapter 5. I'll begin reading in verse 16. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though once we regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone, the new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sin against them. And he, was committed, he has committed to us this message of reconciliation. We're therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Let's stand together and continue praising the Lord in song. We go back one chorus. Let's sing together. Oh, praise the name. Just the voices. Oh, praise the name of the Lord our God. Oh, praise his name forevermore. For endless days we will sing your praise. Oh, Lord, oh, Lord. 
Will you turn in your Bibles to Colossians chapter 1? Colossians chapter 1. You'll need a Bible. The guys have some, so they're going to make their way to the back. And if you need a Bible, get their attention. They'll get one of those to you. Keep it as our gift to you. We want everyone to own a copy of God's Word. Bring it back every week because we look at Scripture together every Lord's Day. Our normal approach to the message each Sunday is to unfold a particular passage that's within the book that we're studying, passage by by passage. We're currently in a study of the book of Acts. It's going to resume next week. That assumes I'm able to cover all that I intend to uh, today. In our annual beginning of the year State of the Church address, now I said that The State of the Church Address takes place at the beginning of the year. Here we are, though, in the middle of February, and that's because, although this was slated to begin the first Sunday in January, we had so many people in our congregation who fell ill to the Omicron virus, we postponed it until February. Last Sunday was the first State of the Church message for 2022, and I encourage you to listen at our website, cbctrenton.com, if you were not able to be here. Today we're going to look at what Colossians chapter 1, verses 28 and 29, teach us about our mission. And then we're going to talk about what it is we're doing and hope to do in order to accomplish that mission this year and in the years ahead. So let's bow now and ask the Lord to help us as we do. Our Father, we thank you for gathering us now in your presence with your word open before us. We thank you that we can consider these matters regarding the mission that you have entrusted to your people to carry out in your world. I pray that you will help each of us to take this with the seriousness it deserves. These are eternal verities and these have eternal consequences. And so help us, Lord, to open our hearts have attentive attentive minds, be willing to alter our behavior so that it aligns, if need be, to alter what needs to be uh, changed so that we are in keeping with the mission that you have assigned to us. May that be accomplished today. May we glorify you then, not only this coming week, but this coming month and in the year ahead as we serve you together. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, last Sunday's message in the State of the Church series included a a reading of an entry in my diary that I expect to be able to write on a Sunday in 2027, September 26th of that year to be exact, and that's when our current 10-year plan will be completed. Now, we have that 10-year plan in printed form at our Welcome Center in the lobby, so feel free to pick that up if you don't have one. And in that journal... In five and a half years, it mentions a a host of things our church has accomplished. Some we've already done in the first four and a half years of the plan, and many others are still yet to be carried out. Our church's theme verse for the 20 years of our existence has been Colossians 1 and verse 28. He is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom, so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. Now in the first 15-year plan with which we started our church, and now the 10-year plan of which we're about halfway through, in all of that, Colossians 1.28 was and is our goal. 
And I want to look at the components of that verse and then relate them to what we're doing and will do at Community Bible Church in the years ahead. Now, you should have received an outline when you entered the auditorium today. And I say, first of all, in that outline, that we convey the Word of God. Verse 28 uses several terms that describe our communication of Scripture. It says we proclaim, admonish, teach. Just a few verses back, Paul, who wrote this book in your Bible, says his message is, in verse 25, the Word of God. It says, I have become its servant, verse 25, by the commission God gave me to present to you the Word of God in its fullness. Verse 26 calls it a mystery, meaning not a riddle or an enigma, but rather something that was not known in the past but has now been disclosed, namely the church. The church comprised of both Jews and Gentiles. Verse 26, the mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations but is now disclosed to the Lord's people. To them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. The inclusion of Gentiles and Jews together in one body is new with the church in the New Testament. And so verse 28 says, He, that is Christ now, from the end of verse 27, is the one we proclaim. One commentator says, At the deepest level, the message is not a system or a collection of rules and regulations, but a living and glorious person who is the fulfillment of the deepest hopes of mankind and the source of new life for all his people. Our gospel message is centered on the person and work of Jesus Christ. But we know about who he is and what he's done, now hear this, only through the word of God. So it is sometimes called the word of Christ, in fact. If you just turn one page over in your Bible to chapter 3 and verse 16. Chapter 3 and verse 16, it says, Let the message of Christ, that's literally let the word of Christ, dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another. So it is the, the word of God in your New Testament is centered on Christ. But it's important for us to understand that he, Christ, cannot be known apart from what the Word tells us. Sometimes you find people erroneously trying to separate the Christ from the Word of God with something like, I believe in Jesus, but there are other things in the Bible I'm just not so sure about. Well, it's the same Bible. The Word of God, and only from that Bible, that you learned of Jesus in the first place. If you're to have Jesus, it's because of the truth about him in the word of God. So we cannot bifurcate that. We cannot separate that. I believe in Jesus, but I'm not so sure about the Bible. And so we convey the word of God. And we do it a number of ways I have in your outline. The first is we do it variously. Again, verse 28 says, He, Christ, is the one we proclaim. Now when it says we proclaim, plural, it's distinguishing Paul and his fellow preachers from those who were troubling the church in the city of Colossae with false teaching that he talks about in chapter 2. And I say we convey the word of God variously because the word proclaim in verse 28 is a more general term than the one that's often used for preach elsewhere in the New Testament. 
That other word, keruso, refers to proclaiming with authority and often in a formal setting like one that we're in now. But the Word of God is not confined to the formal preaching that happens behind a pulpit on Sunday. Rather, brothers and sisters can and should share the Word of God with each other over coffee. Parents should do the same with their children. We certainly do not want to minimize the formal preaching of the Bible, but we also do not want to give the impression that only preachers can deliver it. And the only setting in which that can happen is one like we're in today. In fact, Paul spent three years in the city of Ephesus, according to Acts chapter 20. And he said at the end of that time, famously, I have not hesitated to proclaim to you the whole will of God. Notice that word, proclaim. I've emphasized it on the screen. Same word as used in our passage, Colossians chapter 1 and verse 28. And that proclaiming that Paul did in Ephesus in those three years took various forms. It took place informally because he says in Acts chapter 20 that he worked among them and that now, quote, for three years I never stopped warning each of you night and day with tears. So he's just among them. He's working with him, he's interacting with him, and he's proclaiming the word in that kind of setting. It also took place evangelistically because when he entered the city of Ephesus, as recorded in Acts chapter 19, it tells us he would use the synagogue as a venue, and also that he rented a lecture hall to gather and address unbelievers. And Acts chapter 17 tells us Paul also would present Christ in the open marketplace. So we convey the word of God, we do it in various ways and in various places. We do it variously. And I say in your outline that we also do it universally. The admonishing and the teaching that are mentioned in verse 28 are to be done, it says, to everyone that God brings into our sphere of influence. Now the word everyone appears twice in that verse, verse 28, in our English translation, but it's actually three times in Greek. Instead of saying admonishing and teaching everyone, it's, it's lit this, it's admonishing everyone and teaching everyone so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. It tells us, friends, that there is no one who's to be left out of our church's evangelistic and edification efforts. The inclusion of Gentiles and Jews together in the church means by definition that no one's to be excluded from our mission because there is no one who does not fit into one of those two categories, Jew or Gentile. And so we minister universally. We minister to everyone. And this means, I say, that our mission is for unbelievers. And then we'll see it's for believers as well. It's for unbelievers. The word that's translated admonishing in verse 28 is the Greek word nutheteo. That's a concept which can broadly be defined as loving confrontation with the truth for the purpose of change. Loving confrontation with the truth for the purpose of change. Now that Greek word is variously translated in the New Testament as instruct, as counsel, or warn. In this context, it has the emphasis of lovingly confronting unbelievers or as I often say, pre-believers, with the gospel for the purpose of conversion. The Expositor's Bible Commentary says, here it relates to non-Christians, the thought being that we seek to awaken each of them to his need 
of Christ. Now, our church's 10-year plan includes a number of ways that we seek to make contact with those who need our message. That journal entry in 2027 says that we have reached people, and I quote, in a number of ways, about 40% of those who have come to CBC in the last decade came to Christ through our ministry as we made contact with them through our evangelistic ministry, such as Upward Sports, Christianity Explored Home Study, Discovering God series, Worldview Discussion Sessions, and Intentional Outreach, even through our in-reach ministries to children, teens, young adults, men and women. Others began attending by word-of-mouth invitation or hearing about us through our local cable TV program or mailers, door hangers, newspaper ads, yard signs, other forms of advertising. Still others came because they saw our lighted building driving north on 4th Street, found material help through our Community Cares Mercy Ministries of food and clothing or spiritual help through our family life ministries to parents, couples, and seniors, and so on, and via our Community Counseling Center and Recovering Ministries. Now let me break some of that down a bit. I read it last week, but I want to explain some of it this week. Outreach events uh, include our ongoing Discovering God Hour uh, outreach series that we do. These are modeled after Paul's holding forth in that lecture hall that I mentioned that he rented as recorded in Acts chapter 19. So our second hour for our adults in this room is called Discovering God, and it's for that purpose. We do series for outreach. We send mailers to the community, and we encourage you to attend those for your own instruction, but also for you to be an encouragement to those who are coming to hear the gospel perhaps for the first time, but also to invite friends of yours as well. Now, the next one of those outreach series in our second hour is April the 24th. It starts April 24th, and it will be on resolving conflict. Further, we ask the leaders of each of our in-reach ministries to parlay those in-reach ministries into outreach events, at least on occasion. For example, the women's ministry is primarily devoted to ladies in our church that's in-reach, but they do things like the ladies' Christmas fellowship. We're always blessed to have many pre-believers in attendance. Even events that are not direct opportunities for the gospel find their primary worth in creating contacts for the gospel. And so in the spring, we've had our Easter egg hunt for children. It doesn't include a direct gospel presentation, but it does allow us to make contact with folks who we hope will participate in our other ministries where they will indeed hear the gospel. And then there's the portion of the journal entry that also mentions our community cares, community counseling center, family life ministry. Community cares is mercy ministry. Now, some churches shy away from social endeavors for fear that it will become the tail wagging the dog so that it becomes the social gospel. We need to understand that social work through the church is not the mission. Social work is not our mission. The gospel is a message. It's not social work. However, Mercy ministries like food and clothing and crisis pregnancy adorn the gospel message. And further, they give us contacts for those who need that message. Now, the food and clothing in a ministry like Community Cares is self-explanatory, but I also mentioned a few weeks ago on Sanctity of Life Sunday that we seek to be a church that is pro-life but pro 
all of life. And so a crisis pregnancy center, for example, that includes the ability to have an ultrasound on site. What a great thing that, that would be to be able to do that. Because many women, when they see what's happening inside of them, have a change of heart about what they're contemplating doing. Supplies, counsel, and a fund, this mercy ministry would include, a fund to assist with the ridiculous cost of adoption. We've had some adoptions take place in our church. We've held fundraisers for those because they cost tens of thousands of, of dollars. And so we would seek to have a fund to help assist with that because we want to encourage that mercy ministry. This is one way to be not only then pro-life in the womb, but pro-all of life. And then our counseling center would be designed to help our people, yes, but also those in the community with the many problems that everyone faces in a fallen world. The problems caused by the fall are, friends, opportunities for the gospel. Let me say that again. The problems that are caused by the fall are opportunities for the gospel. So recovery from addictions and marriage problems and depression and family struggle, struggles, they are all fodder for help from the word of God and they are all also contacts for the giving of the gospel. One of the great phrases in all of hymnody is that the mission of Christ and the work of Christ extends, quote, far as the curse is found. And as far as the curse is found, it gives us opportunities then for the gospel. Now, I mentioned our family life ministries and the way those can also be parlayed into, into outreach. As we started this past fall, our entrusted ministry for mothers of, of small, mostly small children, but just mothers in general. And for this first go-round, after we started in the fall, uh, the ladies wanted to just make sure they, they had their system down, understood the program, that it ran smoothly. And then next fall, when it starts again, now that we've got that down, we're going to use that as an outreach. And I see that as a tremendous form of outreach for us. Also, be aware that this summer, in our second hour, when we normally, through the summer, for Discovering God, do not have an outreach in the summer, we're going to devote the entire summer to demographic ministries. And so our Crossroads class for young adults will meet throughout, together throughout the entire summer. We'll have a young adult class. We'll have our, an, excuse me, uh, a young married class, an older married class, a class for our seniors, and all of those are going to meet this summer and each summer as a way for those relationships to be strengthened. Now, all of that sounds good on paper, but it all requires resources. Now, I'll talk about how we get the resources toward the end of our, our time. But as I said last week, resources follow vision. And so it's my hope that you'll support the vision and then my expectation that resources, both human and financial, will come. But to do all of that, we not only have to have the ministries, but we have to have, friends, the mindset. The mindset. Author and pastor Tim Keller has observed that when an unbeliever visits your church, they're wondering, what would it look like if I became a Christian? They walk in, they observe, they hear what people are saying, and they're wondering, can I fit into this? Could I ever be a part of this? What would it look like for me to be a Christian? He says we answer that by what we talk about in their presence. 
and how we talk about it, whether from the pulpit or, in our case, in the lobby during Cafe Community or on social media during the week. If unbelievers find an angry people who seem to be at war with people like them, if they're to be reached with the gospel, it's going to be through the agency of someone else because they won't be back to you. Just under a year ago on my Church Matters blog, I wrote this. Far too many Christ- for far too many Christians, we are at war with the very people we're called to reach. Christian friends, God has not called you to a culture war, a holy war, or any war against flesh and blood. The church is not an outpost in a political struggle, and pastors are not its generals. Instead, Jesus commanded us, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. And he said, blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of things against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. Because the Bible says, after all, James chapter 1, human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Again, continuing to quote, it has been said that truth is the first casualty of war and that applies to so-called holy war. Remember the spiritual war you're waging, and so take up the weapons appropriate to it, starting with the belt of truth, spoken in love for the benefit of those that we are called to love, and that is everyone. And that's why in a book like this, in Colossians, where our church's theme verse is that we admonish everyone, then if you look at chapter 4, and again, if you'll just turn over to chapter 4 for just a second, As Paul, who wrote this, winds up his instruction in this book, verse 5 of chapter 4, he says, be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. So, dear friend, outsiders are watching. That would be unbelievers, people who need what we have. Outsiders, unbelievers are listening, they're watching, they're listening, so let us be wise in the way we behave. So we put up no unnecessary barriers. Now, the gospel itself is, in fact, a necessary barrier. Because until God does a work upon the heart of an individual, we all naturally resist Christ. We all naturally resist the gospel due to our sin nature. But we remove all human unnecessary barriers. And the Apostle Paul said that was his MO in his ministry as well. Here's what he said. I have made myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. I have become all things to all people so that by all possible means I might save some. I do this for the sake of the gospel that I may share in its blessings. You see, friends, I want us to see an end to abortion. But I want to reach the woman who has had one or is contemplating one as well as the doctor who shames himself and his profession by facilitating one. I would love to see, it will never happen this side of heaven, but I would love to see homosexuality as a practice ended or at least minimized to the greatest extent possible. But I want to love the one who struggles with that sin, gain a hearing with them for the gospel, and then see God do his work through us. And so we minister universally to everyone. That means our mission is for unbelievers, but of course also... I say in your outline, for believers. 
Verse 28 says, we engage in admonishing pre-believers, but also teaching, which refers to instruction to believers in the way of Christ, building them up in the faith by the word of God. Now, our church offers a pathway in order for one to move from conversion through maturity. We call that our, our spiritual growth chart. And we have that on the screen for you, I think. Can you can probably barely read that. Sorry about that. But we go through this in our four-week newcomers orientation that we offer a handful of times throughout the year. I'll be mentioning the next opportunity that's coming up very soon. And I teach that, lead that, and I go through this chart. But on that chart, it takes our church's mission statement that we exist to help people learn about God, love Him and others, live for His purpose. And then it takes those three objectives, learning, loving, and living, and it shows the ministries that we have for each of those. And so we take that very seriously, intentionally, and I encourage you, if you want to grow in Christ, then to avail yourself of those things that we offer to learn, love, and live. And that's because a healthy church offers three experiences. We see this from the church that's commended, the very first church that ever existed in the city of Jerusalem in Acts chapter 2, where it tells us they had these three things going on, learning experiences with the Word of God, they had relational experiences with one another, and they had witnessing experiences with the world. If you're going to be a healthy church, then you offer all three of those experiences roughly in equal proportion. It's been my observation that many churches have one of those and specialize in one of those, or many churches might have two of them. Very few have all three of them. So you have churches that are learning churches, uh, learning experiences with the Word of God, and so every ministry is pretty much a classroom atmosphere. Or you have churches that have relational experiences, and everyone loves each other and hugs each other and is very warm personally, but actually what love is and what the objective of that love is, they haven't really been taught because we don't do a lot of learning. Or some specialize in evangelism, witnessing, and every service then is an outreach opportunity. But if we're going to be healthy, then we're going to be all of those, learning experiences, relational and witnessing experiences. Now, again, I explain all of those in our four-week newcomers orientation. The next opportunity for that is next month, second hour, March the 20th. So if you are new to our church, I encourage you to mark March the 20th and be with us for the four Sundays, uh, that Sunday and the three after. So we are to convey the word of God, do it variously, do it universally to unbelievers and believers, and I say we do it thoughtfully. We do it thoughtfully. Our teaching is to be done, verse 28 says, with all wisdom, that is, since wisdom is the application of knowledge, then our teaching is going to apply what we know about the individual and his or her needs to the teaching task. That is, it will influence this wisdom will, how we go about it. People have common, but they also have particular spiritual needs, depending on where they are in their lives and their circumstances. So it has been said, I think rightly, that preaching is public ministry. And so it ministers to people in a general way by its, very, by its very nature. But counseling is personal ministry that's tailored to the individual and to their struggles. And so part of the reason that we want to have 
this counseling ministry is so that we can, with all wisdom, apply the word of God to the lives of every person God brings to us. So we convey the word of God. But we also, I say in the outline, convey the work of God. Now when I say convey, that, that means we are the conduit of, on the one hand, communicating and modeling the word of God, and now, secondly, carrying out, executing the work of God. Verse 29 says this, To this end I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. Now passages like this should put to rest the passivity that passes for spirituality in so many corners of evangelicalism. This goes back centuries into church history, and it's been called by various names like pietism or quietism. If you don't know what those are, you Google those and you'll get a boatload of information. Or slogans like let go and let God. But they all have in common that you wait passively for God to move. But as you've heard me say in the past, waiting to do what God has already commanded is sin. If God's already said to do it, then you don't have to, you don't have to wait. He's given us the mission, so friends, we are to be about it. And Paul was, who wrote this. When he says in verse 29, I strenuously contend. The Greek word is agonizo. We get English agonized from it. No passivity with Paul. I'm all in. I'm giving myself to this, this work. Now to be sure, we can do nothing apart from, that is of spiritual value apart from Christ. So it is, as verse 29 says, his energy that works in us, and we should, as Paul does there, acknowledge that. But we do not sit idly by when we've been told what to do, and neither did he. In fact, this church to whom he writes, the church at Colossae, is a church plant. The reason we have a book of Colossians is because Paul strategically went about his ministry planned it, energetically went after it. And as a result of that, there were many churches started, planted. One of those was the church in this city. Now, the, the way Paul did that strategic planning was this. As we go through the book of Acts, we're going to make note that Paul did not choose the cities to whom he went to preach the gospel haphazardly. But rather, he did so purposefully. He looked for population centers, for commercial centers, where he could give the gospel, see people converted, begin a church and churches, and then see from there those people go out and have ripple effects, establishing what some have called an epicenter church in that, center, in that city. And that's what happened in the city of Ephesus. It became an epicenter church, and the ripples from that church went outward. A trained church planter, a man named Epaphras, planted the church in the city of Colossae. And Ephesus was one of four epicenter churches in your New Testament, the others being Jerusalem and Antioch and Rome. Because it's pop the population of those places allowed them to grow and expand beyond their borders. Now, as you think about this, you think about that biblical model and you think about what God has given us to do here at CBC. Do we have population around us that can go, that can go out? 
Friends, we have within 30 minutes hundreds of thousands of people here. We are in such a position, and therefore our overall objective for our 10-year plan is to become the most highly effective branch, disciple-making branch of the church that we possibly can. And when we do that, we too can be an epicenter church. And so the title of today's message at the top of your outline is From Impact to Epicenter, as we move out from our own confines to plant churches and to assist other churches. So in addition to our community cares, community counseling, road to maturity ministries that I mentioned last week, Road to Maturity is about offering ministry to folks in life's transitions. It's where people can get derailed in their growth in Christ. In addition to all of that, we're looking to establish something that I call the church collaborative. The church collaborative. I think we have. Yeah, now that's a play on the, the collaborative. There's actually supposed to be two L's in that, but I want to play on co-labor. And so I'm spelling it with one L and the church collaborative. And that actually comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 9, where Paul said, we are co-workers, that is, co-laborers in God's service. Now, what would the church collaborative, co-laboring, yes, together us, but also us with other churches, what would that be about? I'd like to step through some of that with you, talk about how, by God's grace, we will resource that, and then we will end our time with a special prayer. This church collaborative would be about planting other churches. In our 10-year plan, we have that our church would be instrumental in planting other churches. But also revitalizing churches. And that we would do so in a way that utilizes funds, through a means that I'll talk about in a bit, that go beyond our operating and ministry budget from year to year. That we will have a fund in order to move that forward that's outside of our ministry and operating budget to plant churches and revitalize others. That means, if we're going to do that, if we're going to plant churches, for example, that we need to have internships for ministers who would be the church planters or who could go and help revitalize dying churches. That we could have, as in our 10-year plan, church health conferences to invite churches to come and to see some of the things that need to happen in order to have the profile of a healthy church. For us to engage in missions trips so that we can assist our missionaries and see the work that they are doing. So that we could launch our own planters and missionaries. That we would have a fund ready for things outside our just normal monthly support for our missionaries, but projects that come up that they need, which happens fairly regularly. It would also require that we have capital expenses beyond those in our operating and ministry budget to support all of those things and more. For example, if we're going to do the uh, community counseling ministry, then we're going to have to have a place dedicated, whether in this building or not, but a place dedicated to that. An entrance where people can come without having to walk by 50 people in order for people to see that you're here for counseling. So you've got to strategically plan that and also have an environment set up where people who are troubled and are going through very difficult things come into an environment that 
uh, makes them feel at ease right away. That's all part of the planning for this, and it requires, and it requires some funds. So how would we get those funds? Well, first let me talk about the way we get our funds for our ministry and operating budget. Every year at this time, for the last several years, I've given a few statistics quickly on the giving for our church. Now, if you're a guest here today, and you're going to hear me talk about money here for just for a few minutes, then I'm not apologizing, I'm simply explaining that that's not our norm, that we do this once a year, and it's a necessary thing for our church to move forward. If this happens to be the day that a friend or family member invited you to come to our church, then blame them, not, not me, because they knew that this is what we were we were going to be doing. And our church has moved forward and has been able to be an impact church, and we are now positioned to grow into an epicenter church by God's grace, by the faithful giving of you, his, his people. This past year of 2021, we had a record overall giving year. And that is over the year 2020 in the midst of a pandemic in which we also had a record year. We had a record year in 2020, and then we had another record year in 2021. And that's an amazing thing for which I'm profoundly grateful to the Lord first, and then to you, his people, uh, as well. Now, as that breaks down in terms of how that money was acquired through the giving of you all, I need to make sure that you understand, most of you know this because we've said it over the years, but it's our policy that the pastors do not know who gives at our church. I do not know a single person in this church and what they give. So any statistics that I give you that are broken down were supplied to me by our finance team. They're the only ones who know wh what people give. And then they give me statistics that have no names associated with them, only numbers. So that's all I have. So as I look at these record-giving years, and in particular the one that we had this past year, and the number of families that we have in our, in, in our church, we have some very, very good news. One, the average giving per family in our church is, uh, approaches $4,000 per family. That's the average. Now, that's the good news. Here's the bad news. You know, an average can be skewed because you can have people in the first, say, third or half who give a lot of money, and then you may have people in the other two-thirds or latter half that don't give much at all or don't give any at all. And so an average can be deceiving. And so sometimes it's better to have a median. And the median just looks at right in the middle. You take the number of families that you have, you see the figures in descending order, you count that number, and then you go right in the middle, and what is that number? And that means you have just as many above as you have below. That number for our church is 1598, 1598, just under $1,600. What that means is, is that record giving that we've had the last two years is primarily done by a top half of our, our church. And that there's another half that contributes much, much less. Now, there may be good reasons for that. If there are good reasons for that, then... There's nothing to be concerned about if you fit into that category under the $1,600 median. But we have, uh, and we've had for the last few years, uh, about 20% of our congregation that shows giving nothing. 
And so as I've done the last few years, I simply want to encourage you, friends, that if you are not contributing to the work of the Lord, then it's not hurting me. And in fact, in many ways, it's not hurting our church because thank the Lord we've had this record giving. Folks have been very faithful. Thank you. So it's not hurting me. It's not, we're carrying out the ministry and everything that we want to do. But it's really my job as your shepherd to tell you that it's hurting you because this is a requirement of the Lord that we together participate in this. And I don't care what your individual numbers are. That's between you and God. But I do care that all of us understand the mission to which we've been called and all of us see ourselves as participants in it, using our gifts and abilities to serve in it, but also the gifts that God has given us materially in order to give toward it. All right, so there's good news, great news, record giving, faithful giving, and then some things to work on. Now lastly, in order for us then to finance these large initiatives that we want to carry out, establish in the next five years, in our 10-year plan, we have had something called, and this is the phrase we use, leave a legacy, leave a legacy fund. I've mentioned that a few times, but here's what leave a legacy is. This is a fund that we hope to, communicate, uh, to accumulate over the years that will be beyond our ministry and operating budget that we hope will grow very sizably so that we can afford to plant churches in a way that, for example, we can send 50 people from here to be a core group for that church, and it doesn't harm our church because we have the money for that. Or that we can give money to churches that are struggling and help revitalize those churches. Or we can give money to young men who want to go into the ministry and we can help them with their schooling and their housing so that they can actually make a, 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 go, of, a go of that. That counseling center and whatever venue we're going to need for that, whether renovations here or something off-site, that's going to cost money. Everything that's outside our normal ministry and operating would be part of this legacy fund. And the legacy fund is simply remembering the Lord's work when the Lord calls you home. It's simply saying, if I have a will, remember the Lord's work in that. If I have an insur a life insurance policy, remember the Lord's work in that. Leave money for your children. Leave money for your loved ones. Remember the Lord's work. And so you might have five beneficiaries. Make one of those beneficiaries the Lord's work. Now, how often are you going to hear me talk about the Legacy Fund? Probably once or twice a year we'll remind you that we have it, encourage you to think about it. As always with financial issues, we're not looking to uh, browbeat anyone with that, but we believe that this can be and should be a vehicle for us to be able to move the Lord's work forward in the way that I've, that I've outlined here. Now, if you don't have a will, you need one. If you don't have life insurance, you should consider that. And we actually have people in our church who are in the financial, work in the financial industry. So if you don't have anyone to, to help you with that, then I'm encouraging all of you involved in the financial ministry, if you don't have your business in our classified ads at our marketplace webpage, that's the way we advertise these things, then I encourage you to send us a note this week. We'll advertise your financial services firm there, and then our congregation can look at that and then you've got people to go to to do that. But of course, it doesn't have to be within our church. You may have someone, or you may go to someone outside of that. Very quickly, 
with regard to our marketplace page and classified ads for businesses. The reason that we established that years ago was so that no one would solicit business from brothers and sisters in the church directly. And so I'm reminding you of that because from time to time I hear that people do that. And if you're soliciting business from people in the church directly, then you're violating a principle of our church. You see, the, the, the currency of ministry is relationship. And if people think you have an ulterior motive in that relationship that has a financial motive associated with it, then they'll be turned off very quickly. So I urge you, I remind you, friends, do not use your relationships here to solicit business. Advertise your business, and then people can come to you. Here's your take-home truth. We seek to be a full-service church to serve a full range of needs. Now, just before we have our closing song, I mentioned that we, as part of our long-range plan to plant churches, revitalize other churches, we want to have ministry internships. And most of you know that we have a program called the uh, Pastors in Training Program. Pastors in Training Program. And I am very glad to say that we have right now a couple that is part of our church and has been at our church for years that is in the Pastors in Training Program and who are going to seminary and who desire to be used of the Lord in whatever pastoral capacity he has for them going forward as a church planter, as a revitalizer, whatever that may, that may be. And that's Billy and Madison Cochran. And most of you know Billy and Madison. And Madison grew up at our church, I think came here in elementary school. Would that be right? Elementary. How old were you? Fifth grade? Fifth grade. So Madison came and her family came to our church when she was in fifth grade. She's grown up here. She met Billy. Billy didn't know the Lord when they started dating, so she did what's called evangelistic dating. And she, <laughs> and, and she, but she told Billy, man, you got you to go to church. So Billy, Billy kept coming, and Billy came to the, came to the Lord. And then um, Billy was getting baptized. And some of you may remember this, great moments in CBC history. But we were at renting the Woodhaven High School, and on the day when uh, Billy was uh, baptized, uh, I was introducing him to join the church and the candidates, and he came to me and said, Pastor, can I say a few words? So he wanted the microphone. Now, I am loath to give the microphone to anybody because <laughs> you never know. When people say, I want to say a few words, do they ever really say a few words? And you have no idea what they're going to say, do you? And I really didn't know Billy that well, but there we were in front of everybody, and I give Billy the microphone, and I step back. And he did a terrific job, and he really did very succinctly thank Madison's family for their influence on him, thank the church for our influence on him. But in particular, he said, I want to thank Madison. Madison, would you come up front? So Madison comes up front, and she doesn't know why. And Billy gets down on one knee and proposes to her. And it was a, it was a great highlight. And then in those years since, uh, Billy and Madison as a couple have been growing in the Lord. Billy is attending seminary and has been for a couple of years. And uh, he and I have become, begun meeting to go through the pastors and training material that I've prepared over the years for would-be pastors. Now, I bring all of that up to you for this reason. The pastors and training program is designed to evaluate three 
three things. Character, theology, and skills. Character, theology, and skills in that order. Character is more important than the other two. Character comes first. And the church family plays a role in helping to evaluate that, that character. So it's important that you know who has put their hat in the ring, so to speak, in order to be moved into pastoral ministry and, Lord willing, if all goes well, sometime down the road, ordained by the church. That would be something you would vote as a church body to do. Are we going to set this person, this family aside for, for ministry? So it means you need to know that they want to do this. It means that they're willing to put themselves out there and be in the fishbowl. And then over the next few years, we will come to you and we'll say, should we ordain uh, Billy to the, the gospel ministry? So over these next few years, watch their lives. Watch how they minister. Watch how they interact with each other as, as a family. And Lord willing, we will be able to set apart this family for the ministry. So I want you to know who they are. I've asked Billy and Madison to come up front. I'm going to pray with them, and then we'll have our closing song. So this is Billy and Madison, as I say. Of course, most of you know them. They have three uh, small children, and the Lord's just doing great things in their, their lives. And they're growing, and Billy's uh, leading our community group ministry and doing a great job with that. And so we're excited about seeing one of our own being trained for the ministry and, Lord willing, being one of our church planters or church revitalizers in the future. So I want to pray for you guys and this pastors in training process, okay? All right, let's bow. Father, we thank you again for the blessing now of this, this day and the opportunity to be in your presence with your people, with your word before us. And we thank you, Lord, that your word tells us what it is that we're to be about in your world, that you've not left us to grope in darkness, but we know what the mission is. And we know that the mission moves forward through the advance of your church. And Lord, the advance of that church requires leadership. It requires those that you call out to be shepherds of the flocks that you establish in your world. And so thank you, Lord, that you are still calling men to the ministry. And we thank you for the evidence of that in Billy's life. Thank you for using our church and using Madison and her family to bring Billy to yourself, but then to work in his heart, to cause him to want to be used by you to minister to your people and advance your cause. And I thank you, Lord, for Madison and her willingness to, to do this and to support Billy in it and to be, a, a, to, to be a model of a godly woman in front of those that you are going to have them minister to. And so, Lord, we ask you to help them to continue to grow. We ask you to protect their family, protect them in their marriage. Lord, ha, uh, ha, may their children see a joyful home that loves the Lord Jesus, loves his work, May they be excited about what it is mom and dad are contemplating doing. And then together, Lord, we look forward to a day when we will be able to lay hands on Billy and set him apart for the gospel ministry. And so, Lord, thank you for this opportunity. Thank you for all of this. It's your mission. These are your people. And so we'll give you the glory for what you accomplish in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Thank you. Let's stand.